Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the January 29, 2023 session, focusing on Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Do, love, walk. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. We all have friends. Um, at least one, right? At least one friend. At least. At least. And I'm wondering, besides the obvious issue of trustworthiness, what, what's one thing you look for in a friend? Oh, a, a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to say, I look for friends that most people wouldn't sit by, sit next to in a public event. <laughs> so David Adams. David Adams. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm, I was going to say something very similar. It, the ability to laugh at oneself yes. yeah. is vital, not only for survival, but, <laughs> but for, for friendship too. I mean, because I just figured, you know, everybody else is laughing at me. Why don't I laugh along with them? So exactly. you, just, you just have to be able to, to do that. That's actually, that's really, that's interesting y'all said that because I was going to say the same thing, but I'll go further. I, I like friends who have a certain level of appreciativeness for silliness. Mm. You know, just this is dad, true. Dad humor is full of silliness. And I just think <laughs> you, you need that. You need like 20, 30% of silliness in order to cope with life most days. So <laughs> some true. of us have a little more than that. <laughs> I will say that I have been very proud of my fathering skills to the degree that my son, who is over 30 now, sends me dad jokes almost every day. <laughs> That's like, a win. You've done well. Did well. Like, I'm I, not going to lie. I'm on dad joke TikTok. So. <laughs> and I laugh real hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, well. David. Yes. Why is a chicken so funny? I don't because... know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clearly we're all friends here. <laughs> we are. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I hope dear listener that um that you are having some good opportunities for laughter as well and that your friends make you laugh and you make them laugh. Go tell a, a good dad joke. It, it's good for the soul. They're the Best. Amen. <laughs> well, we have uh, a passage today that's pretty familiar, um, but I think may have some interesting places for us to discuss. So, Daniel, would you help us get started? I'll be glad to. So, 700 years or so before Christ was born, religious life in Israel had really reached a fever pitch, a revival like none had seen. The temple leaders had to set out extra chairs in the fellowship hall, and the finance committee could barely keep up with all the offerings coming in. But a small town boy named Micah knew something wasn't right. This country boy from way out in the sticks knew that Israel had lost its bearings. Their arrogance and selfishness was out of control. Yes, in the prophet Micah's sermon that we're studying today, He envisions God charging Israel with high crimes, and the only recourse is to haul them into court. Could you imagine taking your children to court? How painful that must be. You would try everything else, would you not, to reach your children before 
God forbid, dragging them into court. Can you even imagine? But that's where God is with the people. Over and over again, God has asked them, in the words of Lenny Kravitz, are you going to go my way? And their behavior toward God and other people, they are answering in no uncertain terms, no, we're not going to follow you. It seems to me that Micah's chief concern, to put it bluntly, is that their talk didn't match their walk. That is, the religious language and practices of the people did not line up with treating God and God's children ethically. Well, good news, Micah. It's not like that today. We've learned our lessons. Church folks today don't suffer the ailment of talking the talk but not walking the walk. No siree. Churches today, if they're focused on anything, it's bringing justice to the vulnerable, housing the homeless, feeding the hungry, granting mercy to those who are incarcerated. Yes, sirree, we've got our priorities straight. I'm being facetious, of course, because the truth is we still struggle with this. I still struggle with this. Even today in most congregations, we are overly concerned with the cultural practices of faith and not justice and ethical obedience to God. Don't believe me? How often do you hear conversations and questions like, how do we get more young people to come? What's the right kind of music we should have? Should we continue to meet at 11 or would 930 be better for families? Should we build a gym? Sorry, Family Life Center. And it's not that these are bad questions. I think they're good questions. The problem is, I think, these questions drown out other ones like, What does this neighborhood need from us? What acts of justice are our world crying out for? What ethical fights should our church undertake? How can we bring peace? How can our church serve and protect the orphans, the widows, the incarcerated, the poor, the vulnerable, the exploited? Micah tells us that it's not that our religious ceremonies and emphases are bad, it's just that. That's not what God really wants. Not initially, at least, as other prophets tell us, before God will even listen to our worship. We must learn how to take care of others in justice and compassion. God has told you, O mortal, what is good, Micah says. God has told you what God requires. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. It's simple. It's succinct. It's a perfect elevator pitch for what a life of faith ought to be built upon. But let's be careful. Rather than seeking to model our lives on this call, we can sometimes talk about this text as if it's a self-righteous call to justice, which I guess in a sense it is. Some progressive persons of faith point at this passage and say, it's all right there, just do this. We can be rather smug about ourselves and our behavior, if you ask me. Even for those of us who are trying to live justly and mercifully toward others, let's remember that we often fail spectacularly. And let's remember, too, that this passage stems from God's deep disappointment with God's people. Who have, failed, who have failed spectacularly in the pursuit of being a people focused on justice and liberation. The same charges we level at others 
could be brought against us. So rather than beating our chest in pride, perhaps we ought to do so in repentance, because this passage from Micah should call us all to account. It should call us to remember that we cannot separate worship and justice, because when we worship, it drives us to enact God's justice, and when we pursue justice, we are worshiping God. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you so much for that introduction. Um, and I'm just going to out you. You said beforehand that you kind of apologized to the group before we got on recording. Say, I just wrote this real fast between two funerals. Y'all, listeners, we are working with elite here. Daniel literally wrote that really fast between doing two other funerals. Um, and it was such a beautiful background, and it really opened up for us how we can begin to talk about this text. And I think that it is such an, and I think you got to the heart of the matter. This text calls us to pay attention to God's primary concerns for us, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These are the first things. Family life centers come later, right? What I love is that in our country, Christianity lives with a relative amount of privilege. We are, we have a freedom of religion in our country, and that allows us to build churches that can grow and flourish. And certainly the pandemic has brought challenges to that. But nonetheless, as institutions, we seek to help our institution continue to exist and to grow and to hopefully flourish. But that is not what God told us to do. That doesn't mean it's bad. We live in a world in where this kind of makes sense. However, if we are not doing the first things well, we should not be attending to the latter things. And I, that's what I love so much about what you brought to light in this passage. So, um, bravo. Um, uh, maybe you should write between funerals every time. Oof, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that, uh, Nikki, because I, I, we can be so hard on on church today but as you stated those aren't bad questions and we should find new and creative ways of using the resources that have been trusted to us to seek to reach out just like God does that with us but God is also clear about what is primary and what is foundational and what and what is foundational is that above all else we need to serve God and serve other people in just and compassionate ways. And everything else comes under that. Yes. Amen. I'm going to jump in on this angle of <laughs> not to, to keep beating on this, but, but the family life center stuff, because the, especially during the pandemic, a lot of churches with a lot of physical space, big sanctuaries, a lot of educational space, big gymnasiums with tennis courts and, you know, and the basketball court and walking tracks, 
all that stuff began sitting empty. And as as people began to reemerge, uh, lockdowns lifted. Not everybody was going flooding right back into church every week uh, like they were before. And even before the pandemic, church attendances have started to wane, which raises the questions, what do we do with these facilities? And the facility itself is not necessarily bad. And y'all are hinting at that. But there are churches who said, you know, instead of building a Christian family life center for our people or to try to draw more people like us in, have opened their centers up and saw them as places for the community who may not have access to nice gymnasiums and nice health clubs and things like that. Uh, and and building something like that becomes a part of doing justice mm-hmm. and loving mercy uh, outwardly. Uh, so it kind of res- raises the question, who are we doing this for? Daniel, I've, you hit a nerve because this is, you know, you, you call out progressive Christians and, and our love for this passage and how quick we are to throw it back at people who said, this is what we ought to be doing. This is what you ought to be doing. And and you turn it back around on us. Are we doing it? Are we living it? And 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 that's always the what gets under my skin about prophets, because prophets are going to get under everybody's skin. And the best ones, like Micah and Amos uh, spe- specifically, knew how to get everybody who wanted to hear something a certain way, hearing it the way they thought the prophet was going in the direction they were going, mm. that mm. favored them. And then, bam, he turns it back on them. And you did that. And uh, that's, a, you know, it's an important thing. This isn't just a matter of of a point of how do you interpret scripture? Do you read this first or do you give priority to Micah 6, 8? You know, uh, no, that's not what this is about. You know, am I living this way? I love that. Good prophets are equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> that's right. They're going to make everybody feel a little bit shameful. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Daniel, I, I really appreciated the way you helped us to also pay attention to the core message, you know, what's really important. What are the what are the most important questions? Not that all not not that all those questions weren't good, but that there are some that rise above the others and and stand out as the important questions. And I remember a few years back, maybe it was more than a few, but <laughs> there was this uh, book that came out about you know everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. And, and it, you know, it had these little bits of wisdom, like clean up your own mess, share things, flush, uh, take a nap every afternoon. I mean, <laughs> um, and it was full of these little pithy uh, bits of wisdom that we learned in kindergarten. And we chuckle at it. But, you know, it is, in my mind, a similar kind of reminder that often the core elements of, of life don't have to be really complicated. They, they can be hard to do, right? But Micah sits here and gives us a pretty direct, straightforward, do this. <laughs> Here's what God requires. I don't know where I'm going with this, except to say, it, you reminded me of the simplicity of asking good core questions. David. Yes. That book was written in 1986. You're breaking up. I can't hear you. That was the year I graduated from high school. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was delicious. <laughs> I was six years old when that book was written. <laughs> I was almost through with my MDiv. <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> typo that couldn't have been 86 that's crazy it's when it was originally published you know it, it, time flies when you're having fun this is true <laughs> okay so when i think about this passage do justice okay so i'm i'm gonna like critique for a second and it's probably a little bit of a critique on progressive people do justice love mercy Walk humbly with your God. Okay, but how? Right. What does that mean? Where do I do that? How do I know if I'm doing that? I do think that for those people who tend to identify themselves as more progressive, the challenge that we often face is a lack of definitiveness. Is that the right, is that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like that there is a, everybody should work, care about justice. We all should be merciful. Okay. Yes. And what does that look like? How do we practice that? Practically speaking, how do I carry those things out? I'm not sure that we're ever super clear on what that looks like. Well, I, you know, that's really interesting, Nikki, because the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, let, let, let's let's say we emphasize this passage. We had emphasized this passage right after uh, Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. OK, you'd have you'd have half the people who would say. What, what does justice mean? It's justice for women and the necessity to make these kinds of decisions about their own bodies. The other half would say, what about justice for the unborn? I, I think I think both people are, uh, both groups of people are, feel feel as if they're noble in those causes and feel like that's a call from God. Yet those two different views of justice diverge in significant ways. Mm-hmm. Justice in terms of the justice and, and the whole system of incarceration is justice putting people to death for their for the crimes. You got to they got to pay for their crimes. That's justice. Or is justice set involve be merciful as your God in heaven is merciful? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Other than to say how you define terms is not insignificant here. You know, it, it sounds like it's it's the trap of of traditional religion anyway. Even within Judaism, you know, you get you get Moses comes down with these two tablets, and then after a few generations, well, what does it mean to do this? What is it? I need clarification. What does mm. it mean not to do that? And then suddenly you've got three, four, five different sects within the Judaism, S-E-C-T-S, um, right? Within Judaism, and some of them have lists, things long to clarify, this is what this one means. This is what this one means. And 
Jesus faced that because they all come to Jesus and say, "Who mm. whose side are you on?" Yeah, yeah. see which interpretation you get. Yeah, he, and, yeah. The who is my neighbor? Who is my yeah. exactly? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need you to tell me who my neighbor is. Are you going to say yeah. the person on my block, the person in the same state as me? You know, where are you going to draw? And that's and and Jesus doesn't answer the question, right? Right. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which doesn't say, now this is the neighbor. This is what he he tells a story and then says, who was neighbor Lee? Mm. And leaves you with a mystery that in any given situation, we don't have to follow pre-written rules to get us everywhere. Just in any situation, we say, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And walk humbly, we, we emphasize the justice and loving mercy. But what about walking humbly? Which means we don't have to have the right answer. We don't have to convince somebody they're wrong and we're right as much as it is know when to be quiet and back off so that what matters most is loving, doing justice, and being merciful, and allowing somebody else to believe something different as long as it's not hurting and getting in the way. You know, somebody can, I can't stop people from believing in white supremacy, but I do have an obligation to, to stop them when they're implementing that, right? So justice. But humility is backing off and not figuring out I have to win every argument or I have to impose my view of rules and my interpretations of the meanings upon everybody else. There, there's something about the humility there that, that gives a mystery of living into the moment. Maybe we're not supposed to know a clear answer, like Jesus asking, being asked, who is my neighbor? He doesn't give a clear answer. I think deep down, we often know the right answer. To what it mm. means to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And maybe that's why Jesus never gave a super straight answer. Because deep down, we know what the right thing is to do most of the time. And then on those times we don't know, a faithful guess is okay. Mm learning to listen to the God consciousness inside of ourselves mm -hmm. is an important part of our practice of faith. And ultimately we know if the decisions that we are making are motivated by love and justice and kindness and goodness or by vengeance and harm and fear-based decision-making. Faithful guess. A faithful guess. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a good one. You need to hang on to that. Nikki. All right. All right. Yeah. I will. I will. Faithful guess. Cause it, <laughs> it, it speaks to the, the reality that we have to choose what we do Sometimes and don't do. We do. Yes. And, and none of us, I mean, the humility of recognizing that we could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Or we could be doing it uh, in a lesser way than it could be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, faithful guessing. I, I'm going to hang on to that. Okay, good. <laughs> Me <Yeah>. too now. <laughs> so when, um, I think it was last Christmas, my wife 
knows that our son-in-law enjoys witty t-shirts. And so she found a site that has some cool shirts. And one of them has become one of his favorites. And he often gets comments on it. And it's just a black t-shirt that has in white letters over on, on the side, it says, wash your hands and don't be racist. <laughs> yes! Those are good rules. And 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 he, he said it's really interesting the reactions he gets because some people will go, I like your shirt. And other people will go, I don't get it. And of course for him, he's like, My you know, my parents taught me to wash my hands and to not be racist. They're both common sense, you know, faithful guesses about how we ought to live, right? So anyway, I I don't know what I'm saying except for us to maybe each make our own faithful guesses about this passage from Micah and and in many ways the simplicity of the of the requirements that God places before us and also recognizing as we've discussed the complexity that it, it is not always clear cut but the humility part I think really can save us because as long as we are humble we are open to learning, we're open to growing, we're open to changing, we're open to God working in our lives and around us and through us. So maybe the last could be a good place to start, mm-hmm. to walk humbly with our God. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.